People often forget that when troops deploy overseas, a supporting group of civilian federal employees accompanies them, often to dangerous areas. Those civilians go through many of the same stresses as service members, and the RAND Corporation has begun studying whether those employees receive enough help when they transition back to life outside of the war zone. For more on the study, Federal News Network's Scott Massioni spoke with RAND senior political scientist Molly Dunnigan. This study came through myself and some of the other authors becoming aware of anecdotal post-deployment health-related issues amongst non-Department of Defense deploying civilians in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and really, I mean, we've read about this in media reports as just sort of onesies and twosies of State Department civilians that had, you know, post-traumatic stress symptoms and things like that. And so this sort of started interest uh, amongst several of us in whether there were endemic problems related to deployment of civilians or contractors with regard to deployment-related health issues, as well as reintegration issues. You know, the, the U.S. military has developed quite a few programs to catch and treat and provide services for deployment-related issues and, you know, family services and things like that for troops when they deploy now. But what is often um, underexplored and I think mostly invisible to the U.S. public is the fact that a lot of these deployments are staffed not only with U.S. military personnel, but increasingly the two other components of what we call our tripartite total force now, which is composed of the military, Department of Defense civilians, and U.S. government civilians, and contractors. And so it makes sense to think that if these civilians and contractors are going into harm's way and experiencing the same sort of combat exposure and other types of things that they're witnessing on deployment makes sense that they may need programs as well. Kind of to your point, I don't think a lot of people are very familiar with the non-military positions that do go into war zones or into areas that are considered hazardous zones. So would you mind just just before we get into really some of the findings of your study, just explaining what those jobs are and, and what they do outside of classic military functions. U.S. government civilians and contracted personnel have been present in the conflicts that this country has been involved in in the Middle East um, over the past decade and a half in very large numbers. It's hard to get a solid count of the U.S. government civilian side of this. We do know sort of at the height of the Iraq and Afghan wars that we had private contractors that were outnumbering U.S. troops on the ground. U.S. government civilians are there in smaller numbers, you know, several thousand as opposed to hundreds of thousands at the height of the wars. But they are there performing services in line with the duties of their government agencies. So you may have engineers there from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but, you know, civilian engineers. You may have attorneys there. You may have other types of development specialists there from U.S. AID. So they really sort of run the full gamut administrative professionals, lawyers, medical professionals, et cetera, et cetera. 
And they are primarily there to, you know, provide services on behalf of their U.S. government agency, but also to get around force management levels or troop caps. So they are not officially counted in troop cap numbers. And so you can can get around a troop cap in a certain area of operation by deploying civilians or contractors instead. Obviously, these people are in areas that can be stressful and and dramatic. The military has a pretty robust way of of bringing people back and, and making sure that they have services available to them. For these people, it seems that you have found that it's pretty disparate and maybe hard to find for the civilians that come back from these zones. We found that it really varies depending on the organization um, for which they work. And perhaps not surprisingly, the agencies that deploy larger numbers of civilians more regularly did have more standardized processes, programs, and services for reintegrating back into civilian life following a deployment. USAID, for instance, has a staff care office that is really devoted to providing a a variety of different services and referrals for additional services when folks come back as needed. The Foreign Service Institute, which is run by the State Department, also has a, a back brief that they give to a number of civilians who have deployed when they come back into the United States to give them a sense of what services are available to them and whether, you know, if they need family reintegration assistance to let them know where to go for those types of issues. But when you have organizations that deploy fewer numbers, they do not necessarily have these systems that are set up already. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty disparate. And the larger problem, I think, is that there's a lack of information for civilian deployees when they're coming back about where they can even go to find the services that are available. Right. And, and that partly leads in, into what I was going to ask next, which is, are these civilians looking for the um, the help that they may need? Or are some of them even feeling stigmatized in the sense, well, you know, I'm not a service member, so do I really need to, to go and do this? You know, that kind of stuff, despite being in a, a very stressful situation. We definitely found that some individuals that we interviewed were reporting a sense of stigma or a fear of stigma being associated with seeking these services once they redeployed, came back to the United States after deployment, and primarily amongst their, you know, uh, the office staff and their, their current boss or the employees amongst, you know, to whom they were returning, they were worried that it would look bad if they were seeking these services and would have a negative impact on their career. And I think that speaks to the the structure of how some of these civilian deployments work, as opposed to the military where you're deploying in a unit usually. And so you can come back with a group of people and go back to a redeployment center over the course of a weekend and have your family meet you there and go through a series of trainings, you know, in, in batches with lots of other people who have deployed. When you're a civilian, and you basically are deploying as an individual for the most part. Um, they can capture you in some sort of batches for pre-deployment trainings, um, usually security trainings and um, weapons use trainings. Um, but there are facilities that do that at Fort Bliss um, as well as at Camp Atterbury across different regions of the United States. But for post-deployment, when they come back, they usually are not going through 
any sort of reintegration program. And so they are very much out there on their own, and they're they're coming back as an individual into an office where they haven't been for a year, and all of their coworkers don't really share the same experiences as them because they were not deployed alongside them. Molly Dunnigan is senior political scientist at the Rand Corporation, speaking with Federal News Network Scott Massioni. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.